So I thought it might be a good time to announce the founding of my new venture, HolisticPianoAcademy.com. Um, I realize it's raining coaches out there, but I'd like to thank my 22 plus years of experience as a professional musician and interdisciplinary artist slash educator. I'm more recently certified fitness coach and therapist as a combined skill set. I could use to help people and contribute to the ecosystem in a manner that feels authentic and fulfilling. I'll be keeping you abreast of further developments with regards to the holisticpianoacademy.com. Um, in the meantime, do feel free to drop in and have a look at what we do. Pratik is as legit as it gets. I had the privilege of collaborating uh, with him on my sophomore album, Buick. His modesty just makes you feel like a terrible person. I feel horrible around him every single time because he's just literally the nicest guy I've probably ever met. And also one of the most mind-bogglingly talented. It was really, really good to catch up with him sometime back while visiting my parents. Um, this podcast has a few audio issues. I do apologize for that. Um, it was beyond my control. Let's just keep it at that. But I do hope the quality of the conversation and the topics we address compensates in some manner. So without much further ado, Pratik Srivastav. Pratik, welcome, man. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Now, honor is all mine, especially since you're off to Mumbai. You're shifting base long term mm -hmm. to uh, Mumbai in like five days. Yes. And so it's I'm super stoked to have you here shortly before such a major transition. <laughs> Thanks a lot. It means a lot, brother. Thanks. Thank you so much. I'm going to start off with uh, what I do on the podcast again. I know we talked about this briefly, mm -hmm. how we met. I found you as a result of six months of research mm -hmm. for my sophomore album, wherein I was consciously trying to look for musicians with a genuine tradition of Indian music. And you were recommended to me by three very... Uh, notable people, uh, Omid Datta is one of them, uh, for my listeners who don't know who that is, he's like this legendary guitar player based in Kolkata, he's been called India's original guitar god, um, Jivraj Singh has been on my podcast as well, and a collaborator in the past, then there is uh, Yotam Agan, uh, Israeli producer, um, who had you on his um, recording sessions for sample packs, path-breaking sample packs. Uh, yes. You were just saying they were actually probably one of the first high-fidelity sample packs for what's now labeled as world music. Oh, yes. Yeah. They did an incredible job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so your path has always been... I want to get into your like, earlier uh, roots growing up in a... A garana, mm -hmm. what is called, of classical musicians. But uh, before we do that, let's talk fusion mm -hmm. of genre of music both of us have been involved in by default, one way or the other. Yes. And we were talking about earlier when we were chatting about how the word has so many different connotations yes. depending on it's which... It's a very wide concept. Especially depending on which part of the world you're in for a regular jazz musician in the West, it means a very different genre than... Uh, for uh, a singer-songwriter from the UK or someone here in India, especially Kolkata. So they, it's like the same name, which has but very different genres, actually. And now world music is the controversial term. <laughs> and it's almost come to a point where people prefer the term fusion to world music. Oh, yeah, almost. It's like, choose your poison. How has your journey been in this world what have been your challenges? Uh, 
what have been your experiences well to start with i started interacting with uh, musicians from other parts of the world at a very early age oh. i think when i was 15 i was invited to to play to present classical uh, recital of course uh, in france so there was a right. children's music festival yes yeah. which i was there yes and they invited uh, musicians from different parts of the world mm-hmm. and uh, to present their individual uh, respective form of music and mm-hmm. also to uh, they created opportunities to interact with the local musicians of france So it's like an artist residency there. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of that, but it wasn't for a long time. It was I think just a two weeks uh, stay there. It mm. was a festival actually. Mm. Uh, in a beautiful place called Pluermel, it's in Brittany. Beautiful. A small town. Sweet. So there were many kids uh, from the adjacent village and mm. uh, the Brittany town, the town of Pluermel. There were singers, there were violin players, there were pianists. so uh and i traveled with another uh tabla player uh, uh, who traveled with me from calcutta and so we uh, did a kind of a duo there a duo set and also we rehearsed with musicians of france uh, mostly of like from our same age group mm-hmm. and we interacted and we were young we were playing football and we were just chatting and laughing we had an amazing time it was a proper exchange of Beautiful. culture of imagination how do you come across the opportunity uh, i think someone recommended mm-hmm. uh, my name to that uh, festival because they were actually looking for uh, upcoming uh, young artists from so different parts like of france uh, was it like an alias français corporation kind no of no no it was i don't remember but it was a very different organization from france uh, yeah it wasn't you mentioned working with an orchestra um, yeah yeah but you didn't work with charts you figured out a way no, to navigate no. yeah. that system yeah. on your own so i think 3 4 months prior to the uh, prior to my visit to france uh, they sent small clips of uh, music audio right. and uh, as i mentioned before while just having a discussion with you that the uh, internet wasn't that advanced back then but still that, yeah. luckily it uh, allowed small file sharing through emails so uh, it was just played on a piano or you know a very uh, it's like midi files kind of midi files gotcha. actually but i don't think it was they were midi files i think they were played on something that's oh, so, okay the yeah, some okay. kind of electronic keyboard or something with a very basic tone just the just the melody just mm-hmm. to pick up the melody and Uh, my, my uncle was there of course because i wasn't familiar with the technology and stuff and also my uncle traveled with me your uncle is a professional musician he is a too. professional musician he is my mentor he is the reason for where i am today Beautiful. as a musician his name is dr rajiv chakraborty dr rajiv yeah. dr rajiv dr rajiv chakraborty yeah he is a doctor of music beautiful so yeah. shout out to dr chakraborty <laughs> yes so he helped me to pick up the music and you know guide me through the process so all i needed to do is just to be familiar mm-hmm. with the uh, uh, melodies and he coordinated with the uh, head of the orchestra who was mm-hmm. conducting and composing for us uh, they agreed on the pitch because we have 
a lot of limitations in terms of pitch when you're playing an instrument like sitar or sarod. Mm-hmm. They're very pitch specific because it, they have some standard tunings. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, transposition is possible, which it is being explored every day now. But to be able to play comfortably and to be able to get all the tonalities from your instrument, it, mm-hmm. it's always good to stick to the way it has been designed. Beautiful. You know? So they agreed on the pitch and I just had to pick up the melody. And then when we went there, I presented my solo Indian classical recital and then followed by collaborations with them, for which we had to rehearse in a beautiful church. We were rehearsing there all day, oh, eating that. together, playing football together. Oh, that, that's one of the, my favorite things about Europe. Yes, the, yes. So the that was concerts. a learning process, you know. That was a beautiful experience that uh, it's just, uh, you know, music is not everything that you just need to work on to be able to make things fall in place when you're collaborating. It's a whole idea of sharing or getting to know each other. So I got exposed to that fact, to that reality at a very early age, and I'm really fortunate. Beautiful, man. About it. So that was my first experience. Now, skipping to, uh, you know, many years later, I started working with many local musicians, some senior musicians. That was a learning experience too. But in my opinion, a very, uh, a little bit, not very, a little bit of wrong idea has been established in the name of fusion music. Tell us more. Yeah, because uh, maybe it started in a different way, but then uh, due to uh, public, let's say public or corporate demands, because there are a lot of corporate shows, concerts that happen where they want uh, fusion music mm-hmm. or, you know, kind of a fusion of uh, the traditional and Western music. So right. people play for money. So it's also, there's, it's also a political angle involved yes. in probably. Yes. So yeah, I, I played a few of those concerts. Yeah. Like I'm not going to quote names. but Exactly. Like, yeah, same yeah. same with me. Yeah, and they're so all renowned profile, musicians. Yeah. So uh, now, now the thing is, firstly, uh, in terms of, uh, as we were talking about the live production, mm. the live sound production, uh, still, Kol- I, I shouldn't comment about other cities of India, but Kolkata needs to work a lot because <laughs> most of the... Uh, people who actually come with the gadgets and who come to mix the yeah. bands or mix the artists, they are not uh, trained enough or they are not engineers. I respect them. They have mm. a very, they're really good. They depend on their years. But most of them, I think they haven't, you know, you need to do, you need to get into study, you know, to understand sound, to understand the science, mm. you know. So, Applying the trial and error method has its limitations. So I face this terrible <laughs> consequence of this thing. If I may, I, intro, I think trial and error potentially can work up as long as it's genuine trial and error. In exactly. my experience, it's just been more error and less trial. Exactly. But if you're doing it uh, just uh, an hour prior to the concert... Yeah, yeah. You have ninety nine percent. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, that's like entirely different. Yeah. I was referring to trial yeah. and error as an overall yeah, approach yeah, to yeah. learning. That 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 yeah. has its potential. I mean, yeah. uh, um, on a random tangent, my producing and sound engineering skills were all a result of mostly trial and error. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was in my second university degree that I actually did like a sound engineering yes. module or whatever. Yes. But I was already producing records by then, all by trial and error. thing I struggle the most with is this mentality of people just always going back to square one after the last trial and the last error. It's just exactly. not no lessons learned. It's just And, and the basic necessities were absent. Like, 
at least you know the engineer or the person who's mixing the band needs to be present for at least one or two of the rehearsals mm. you know, to understand the instrument or to understand the music. Gotcha. So uh, I play an instrument which is called the solo. It's a beautiful instrument. The strings that we use are... You want to show us a little? You, you Feel free to demonstrate what you... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I'm just demonstrating the basic science, yeah, the basic sure, material, sure. and the, uh, the strings are thinner compared to most of the Indian instruments. Could so we hear a little? Since yes, it's I mean, I don't think it's possible to understand what I mean to say just by the sound of it. But if you look at it, then you will understand that the strings are more uh, prone to breaking. When you say breaking, what exactly are we looking at? I mean, it, it just uh, the strings, they break because Smart. of higher tension. Gotcha, okay. You know, then you have to tie it again, which is a very common procedure. We do it, we are good at it mm -hmm. because we do it very often. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, strings break during the concert. Mm -hmm. So you have to tie, tie them up again. But the thing is, when I'm playing with many other instruments like a bass guitar or drums, they are naturally loud. So if you don't have a right. good mix mm -hmm. or proper monitoring, you, you know, you are compelled to play harder, mm -hmm. you know, not knowing the output, not understanding, gotcha. you know, how it is, you know, being, uh, how it is going through the output to the audience. I so I uh, face a lot of such experiences and of not being audible enough. And uh, th that is one factor. So and you felt drowned? I felt drowned. Yeah. yeah. That's I a shitty feeling of being there. And all my ideas and preparations just... Yeah. I faced very similar issues. Mm. I mean, um, <clears throat> mostly as a singer, mm. but also as a pianist, uh, yeah. playing acoustic. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's a very... It's a sinking feeling, man. It kills you. Yes. To be there, you know, you're bearing your soul and you're playing an instrument... Yeah. Um, which lives off the mo the subtler nuances, yes. and it's like uh, it's 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 a very depressing feeling. That bothered me a lot. Also, I think uh, you know there was more of just collaborating for the sake of playing together than understanding or having an exchange. It's a bit of a publicity stunt. More of a publicity stunt, or just you know too much uh, impromptu <coughs> articulation doesn't really work. Mm. So that's something I have faced. And so I had a very limited uh, knowledge about the fusion music. It was more confined to confined from the Indian point of view mm. until actually until I met Jivrat Singh, my friend, mm -hmm. the incredible drummer. I met him in college. He's a very good friend of mine. He started, you know, giving me musical albums where it was, you know, I got familiar with the term jazz fusion. So that's when I actually mm. understood that fusion also exists across the borders and fusion actually means what it means you know it's right. like a mixture of different forms or ideas it's crazy when you think about like fusion it's actually like a scientific word right and if exactly. you think about its original implications it's we've exactly. butchered yes. we've butchered yes. the musical yeah. uh, connotations of it uh, to a very unfortunate degree but now I, I am quite satisfied I got a lot of like talking about Yotam, the project I worked with him later after the sample recording project, mm -hmm. I traveled uh, to Chennai because we were working on an Australia tour. Mm -hmm. So that was a wonderful experience. We rehearsed there for more than a week. Beautiful. So that's where, you know, we composed together. So it was a kind of a mixture of 
Hindustani classical music, which is not Indian classical music, mm-hmm. Carnatic classical music, because there were Carnatic musicians, South Indian classical musicians. Mm-hmm. And then there was electronic music, because Yotam uh, and one of his friend, Patrick, uh, they used to compose music yes. uh, on Ableton. Right. And they had fixed pieces of music. Yeah, at the time, they were quite way, uh, quite ahead of the time. For yes, that era, yes. I and they did a massive project called mm. Laya Project. Which, yes, uh, yes. Um, yeah, which had an album and also entire uh, research tour which was documented. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I'm almost sure. part of that project, except uh-huh. by the time uh, we'd met, it was mm. just about over and the label was just closing okay. down. So it's a pity. Yeah, well, Yota, man, uh, I mean... I think in this day and era in 2021, his skills are the kind, I mean, the depth of his skills, they don't make themselves as apparent in this day and era. But that guy's like a really badass sound engineer. He's got some serious skills. Serious skills. Old school, like he really really knows how to master a record. Exactly. And the best part is he gave us a lot of freedom. Oh, that's beautiful. He he just gave us the structure and he just gave us the freedom to explore and change it and tweak it and everything. And especially in that era, we're talking about which uh, which year? Ah, uh, I think it was around two thousand eleven. Right, and this was an era where most musicians were working under very controlled circumstances. Very controlled. So this was a very different experience. Yeah. So shout out to him, man. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. and it was very balanced. And it was wonderful. And so finally, when we went to Australia and got on stage, it was everything was falling in place. Beautiful. And there were beautiful visuals at the back. So it was a very new experience for. Mm. You know, playing with the and we could listen to each other. There was a nice uh, flow of energy. We could interact with each other. We could listen to each other. That that's the most important part. I keep emphasizing on that because because of his production skills, of his mixing skills, he made sure that we are comfortable on stage. Yeah, yeah. He made sure that we are on the click or we are on the perfect tempo and we don't fall apart. In sync. In sync. in sync, which when working with larger ensembles on mm. the technical level is a lot more complex than people realize. It's one thing to play in small chamber-like yeah. intimate situations, but yes. when you're working with like multiple larger ensembles and being in sync, yeah, and where there are monitor issues and mm-hmm. you're playing in the auditorium, you know, yeah. it's. I mean, we could talk about that for yeah. hours, but I wanna, uh, I wanna use this opportunity mm-hmm. to get a bit of an idiot's crush course in mm-hmm. Indian classical music. <laughs> Um, so, I'm the idiot here. What is Indian classical music? Tell me, man. Well, Indian classical music is ancient form of music in our country. When you say ancient, yeah, it's very ancient. ancient. I think it was it it originated during the Vedic period, which is. I'm Uh, I'm I'm asking for most of my listeners. I'm I obviously know what the Vedic period is. Thousands of years back. I'm I'm sure. I need to look it up in Google, the exact time span, the exact time period. Uh, look it up in Google, people. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, of course, there are difference of opinions, but it is a very different form. It didn't originate as Indian classical music, to be honest. Sure. Because but, uh, Sorry to interrupt you, mm-hmm. but we're definitely looking at at least 2,000 years. Oh, yes. And there are difference of opinions. According to some, you know, it was, uh, it originated in the temples. Hmm. In India, you know, we worship many gods and goddesses. Mm -hmm. And so many hymns were composed, paying tribute. Mm -hmm. So that's where this ancient form of Indian classical music, which is called Dhrupad, you spell it D, to spell it D-H-R-U-P-A-D. That form of uh, Indian classical uh, music uh, originated Mm -hmm. during that time. And slowly that music uh, 
migrated from the temple to the courts of the kings. Why did that happen? Uh, I think it just evolved in such a way because uh, initially it was restricted to uh, just lyrics and composed themes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think it started getting popular and, you know, many musicians uh, and singers mostly, they came up and uh, during, you know, the reign of different kings, they got interested in the music. So and I'm sure a lot of poetry is also involved. So it's like many, many other art forms, how they migrate to the next level. So it was underground at the beginning and the kings were the major labels then? Yes. <laughs> yeah. They had, uh, they were quite fascinated. Gotcha. And music and they had this taste for mm. music and it slowly migrated to the courts. Patronage basically, that's that's yes. that was the main mm-hmm. reason for that evolution. Could, I think could, so. Am I right? It could be. But I'm sure there are many many other opinions okay. uh, regarding the exact origin. Just to clarify, the reason I'm asking these questions is just remember I'm the idiot here, so mm-hmm. you are talking to an idiot. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot more to know. Even I need to know a lot. <laughs> I'm sure many knowledge has been has gotten disrupted. Yeah, but you're very being very humble right now. Okay, fair. No, point. it's it's true. It's true. One of the things I love about you, so I'm not gonna. It's true. But, okay. So then, so in the courts, I think it started getting more popular. There were more musicians uh, who started presenting this form of music. Mm-hmm. So it became. Uh, it, it took a different direction. It also the entertainment factor came in. Initially, it was confined to the temple and it was a part of a meditation or, you know, just paying tribute to the deities. But later, it started evolving as an art form in terms of learning or in terms of entertainment. You know, people started learning or having an understanding or studying the art form. And uh, maybe others, they just listened to it for pleasure. Then during the Mughal period, I think Mughal period marked the beginning of a different kind of evolution. Just a quick question before we move on to mm-hmm. that transition. <coughs> so would you say, um, am I getting this right? So did it move on from being a purely spiritual practice mm-hmm. to one of pure entertainment or was the spiritual... No, it pa- continued to be a spiritual practice. How was that balance struck? I'm not sure about it. And I asked this it because it still exists together, you know. Exactly. And that is what for me is the, the most fascinating part of uh, my mm-hmm. heritage. In, yes. in but don't you think it's uh, applicable to many other, like all other forms of music? Absolutely. Though we don't attach Ideally. the spiritual tag to it, Ideally. but it, it, it plays with a different level of consciousness. Sound, I think it has to do with the impact of sound. Exactly. Except the differences, I think, and I don't want to divert too much Mm -hmm. from um, the topic, but I think in my experience, the approach to uh, entertainment in the West, Mm -hmm. even traditionally, Mm -hmm. has been very different. And there's also always been a very marked difference between what's called religious music and non-religious music. And even now in Germany, there's even like different gradations. Yeah. They have a gradation called uh, Ernst Musik and mm-hmm. Unterhaltungsmusik, which is basically serious music, yes. entertainment music, and people actually get different royalties yes. for everybody the same. That's so right. there's, bit, there's a lot more discrimination between the two. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about Indian music, uh, that discrimination is not as blatant, at least not officially mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the secret to that? Why do you think Indians always have that characteristic? quintessentially mm-hmm. any ideas no especially as a practitioner i think you're mm. so deeply into it you don't yeah. actually stop to think or try to yeah. intellectualize i do it. i do but there are so many factors you know it has to do with uh, many things it has to do with the landscapes the nature 
the kind of influence this country had environment environment and also foreign influence yeah. a lot of foreign influence like huh. yeah like indian like talking about the entertainment part i think this is my theory maybe which is i just came up with it now i think it became entertaining when it started becoming interactive in nature mm, so in a good way yeah in a good way when uh, musicians started interacting among themselves through music so when you see two people enjoying themselves or having uh, exchange of uh, emotions or you know interacting uh, through another language mm-hmm. naturally the audience gets quite fascinated and you get curious about what's happening it's something uh, you're not used to seeing you know mm-hmm. it's, it's a different form of interaction which doesn't involve words mm-hmm. so i think the involvement of instruments came much later and also uh, even uh, in terms of vocal music or the vocal aspect of indian classical music it slowly evolved from just strictly from being uh, confined to lyrics it started uh, it started having elements of improvisation right. and which uh, i think mughal period marked the beginning of that yeah let's get back to yes, that so it started off in the temples drupad yes. and then kings started pat- uh, yes. started patronage for these artists yes. it moved on to a more entertainment like more entertainment, uh, yeah. entertainment entered yeah. and uh, then the mughal age started right. what happens here parallelly during that time i'm sure uh, there was a thriving form of music in persia hmm. and so from that side i think i mean the mughals came from that part of the country right right so they brought their culture to hmm. our country so in that in that sense a lot of fusion happened Then, I'm, I'm a little confused. Aren't the Mughals from Mongolia? No, man. I, I need to no. read up on my history. They are not not from Mongolia. I thought Mughal. That word Mughal came from Mongol. Uh, partly I think, but uh, you mean I think, uh, I think uh, Mughals Mughals had many. What can I say? For example, I was uh, about to tell you about this genius person, Amir Khusro, who was a poet and a composer. Mm-hmm. He was a Persian, so he was uh, one of the nine gems of. Uh, king akbar's court akbar is one of the most yeah. uh, known and one of the greatest Mughal kings yeah. yeah so amir khosro started i mean he started a new uh, what can i what what term can i use uh, he introduced a new uh, form in the i i think he broke the rule uh, the stereo stereotypical rule of the Indian classical music that was practiced then mm-hmm. and he introduced a more improvised form of Indian classical music right you know and he added elements of persian music he mm-hmm. uh, opened the doorway for many other instruments so mm-hmm. in many opinions sarod my the instrument i play has persian influence too stringed instruments which resemble the sarod were being played in persia back mm-hmm. then so musicians from there they came here and he wrote songs and he introduced a more improvised form of indian classical music which we come to know as khayal khayal music mm-hmm. so there are lyrics there mm-hmm. if if i talk from the perspective of uh, vocal music mm-hmm. there is lyrics but then there is uh, there are different uh, how can i syllables that are used to improvise mm-hmm. with the help of notes you know mm-hmm. instead of just naming the notes or just making random sounds 
There are a lot of uh, syllables that are used in Indian classical music. So the sargam? Sargam, there are some uh, akars and uh, different kind of, uh, I don't know what term can I use for that. So solfege, basically. Yes, solfage. Ex exactly. Yeah. exactly. So uh, he introduced and uh, he, he brought revolution to this. Mm. And I think this form of music started evolving at a lightning speed after that. Mm. More uh, people started learning, studying the art form. Mm. More uh, things they started taking uh, more interest in it. It was, start, uh, it, it was taken more seriously. It became a mainstream uh, subject of music. Mm. Uh, many uh, scales were and many modes and modal structures were composed. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the most remarkable period when Indian classical music. Beautiful. Uh, you know. Tell us about your instrument, man. My instrument? Yeah, where, uh, is that, how, where does that fit in in, the, in, in this entire picture? Uh, you must have heard about this instrument called Rabab. It is an Afghan instrument. It mm -hmm. is more like a smaller form of sarod. Mm -hmm. So it is said that sarod evolved from rabab. Mm. You know, so Afghani musicians used to play the sarod. Yes. I mean, play the rabab. And slowly, I think rabab was uh, modified, made bigger, more instruments were, uh, I mean, more strings were added to it. And it underwent a lot of change. And then many musicians who migrated from Kabul and other parts of Afghanistan to India through yeah. Kashmir. They brought this instrument to India. Do you hear those geographical influences in the music? Uh, yes, yes. If you listen to Rabab, they have a lot of uh, right hand patterns, strumming patterns. Could you show us a little? Yes, yes, sure. The technique of playing is more staccato, uh, not much slides involved in okay. Rabab. And so the, these sliding mechanisms, this is staccato. Mm -hmm. Right, you just you are just playing static notes. But right. this is something that uh, can be done in your voice, and mm -hmm. this is how it has been replicated to this instrument. And and uh, based on that, I think the modifications were made so that the khayal music, which is being sung, mm -hmm. can be replicated. Beautiful music. And I I think it uh, the instruments were mostly used for accompaniment initially but later they uh, came to the mainstream i mean they became uh, mainstream solo instruments even the sarod was even the sarod i think so yeah really? even the sarod like tabla tabla is a percussion instrument but tabla is also tabla has its own subject and language so mm -hmm. there are solo tabla recitals mm -hmm. where uh, a tabla artist he or she presents the entire literature of the tabla mm -hmm. you know the philosophy behind it, mm -hmm. the composition. So it is being presented as a solo instrument too. Beautiful. You know, just like a maybe drum solo or something. <laughs> I don't know, but even drum drums as an instrument, I'm sure. You, I, I mean, you have a better knowledge about it. Oh, it has a very exclusive knowledge, which is not always applied when playing with other yeah. instruments. I mean, you have as much knowledge about drums. I mean, um, I, 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 I think you're referring to trap kit, like the Western mm -hmm. drum kit. Yeah, sure. Yes. I probably might have played or with more drummers than some in classical musicians. But I mean, you play tablas too, right? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit in your book is quite a lot. I love the instrument. And tabla yeah. is an instrument uh, that we have to interact with exactly. for the rest of our lives. That's exactly. the primary 
percussion instrument. So it is very important to understand the language of the instrument you are associated with. Exactly. This is a great time mm-hmm. to delve into the methods of education mm-hmm. in this tradition. Mm-hmm. For my listeners uh, who don't know you the way I do, you come mm-hmm. from a family of musicians, which yes. is also very common in this tradition. Your mother is an extremely well-known and very widely respected sitarist. Her name is Rina, Rina Srivastava. Rina Srivastava. Right. Um, your uncle, as you said, your mentor, uh, a doctorate in music as well. One of the things I've noticed primarily in the differences between music is taught, like music education in India and the West, my, m- most of my musical education, the formal part of it anyway, was all in academic circles in the West. The, the methods are not as, aren't always as organic. Like a lot of times you go to conservatory and they'll just give you a sheet of music to read sometimes it's, it's changing okay oh sorry you're talking about western musicians yeah you know whereas in indian classical music it cuts straight to the chase I and mean, they'll start off with rhythm you have to understand rhythm and pitch i think they will start off with conditioning okay tell us more it's, it's a conditioning uh, procedure like through listening you need to get into that world first just straight away you cannot just pick up an instrument how was your journey? Where did you start? What's your earliest uh, memory? Okay, my earliest memory. This is interesting. Uh, my mother. Beautiful. So basically, the first four years of my life, we uh, we stayed like we by we I mean, my parents and I we were staying in Hyderabad. Mm-hmm. Hyderabad is a beautiful city in South India. Mm-hmm. So my father used to work there. Gotcha. So. My mother being a musician, she used to listen to music all day, to classical music. My uncle was a, a full-time, he still is a full-time musician, so he had a lot of musical albums mm-hmm. back then of uh, classical recital and also some fusion music back then too. Mm-hmm. So my mother used to play those music at home mm-hmm. all day, almost all day, and just make me listen to them, but not consciously like I need to sit down and listen. So I used to play around mm-hmm. and the music used to keep playing our house. So that's where I think my learning process started. And slowly my mother observed my growing interest. I started getting curious. I started asking questions uh, about uh, the instruments or what is being played or what's happening or what is coming out through the speakers. And somehow I was I was always very close to my uncle, mm. very close to my uncle. So I was very connected to his playing because I used to love him a lot. Your uncle's your mom's brother. My mother's brother. Right. So I just I think I just decided that I wanted to learn sarod. Hmm. I just said that I, actually, in fact, I I <laughs> I was so young. I believed that I was a sarod player. Beautiful. You know, so I used to kind of uh, do some air sarod playing. I, I used to awesome. have a plastic cricket <laughs> bat. So when uh, maybe my uncle is soloing or something, so I used to kind of imagine that you know I'm playing. How old were you? I was three. Oh, that's endearing, man. Yeah, so my mother observed that uh, growing interest in me hmm. and uh, she she thought it would be a good idea to introduce me to this form of music and if yes. I could get into a learning process. And uh, my grandfather, this is the name I should mention, Pandit uh, Ravi Chakravarti, he's the person who introduced classical music in our family. He trained my mother, he trained my ah. uncle. He used to be a senior disciple of uh, Ustad Ali Akbar Khan Sahib, mm-hmm. who is considered as one of the greatest musicians and one of the greatest, or let's say the greatest solo players of all time. Mm-hmm. 
he was a student of my, of uh, Aliya Bhagasab. <coughs> so my mother decided, and she also thought that uh, living in that part of the country is going to be difficult uh, mm. for me to learn because firstly we used to live a little outside in the outskirts of the city and there was no Hindustani classical music happening. Uh, she decided to move to Calcutta. So she actually moved to Kolkata for only for your music education? That's wow. right. Mad respect, man. That's what she did because we were in a good place there. And I was studying and uh, I remember they were looking for a good school in the city for my admission. And my mother decided that if I study there and if I get admitted to a school, then it's a long-term thing and uh, I won't get exposed to this wow. music and I won't receive any training. Even though we used to visit Calcutta twice or thrice a year. Did you ever feel pressurized as no, a result? No, no. Not at all. Beautiful. Not at all. And wow. I, I didn't, it didn't matter to me much. I was so young, but I was happy that I, I'll get to stay with my grandparents and but more importantly, I will get to play Sarot. Awesome. So I think we moved when I was four, but I didn't start straight away. So all I used to do is just, and back then my uncle was there and all his musicians' friends used to visit us every evening. Amazing. So there was a like a intense musical session practice session happening every evening in our house. And that's the environment you were growing up that's in. The, that's the process I'm talking about. Dude, that's so bad. So that's how the learning started. I got conditioned because it is a very... Uh, Indian classical music is... I don't know whether acquired taste is an appropriate phrase, but it is not possible to understand it or, you know, develop a liking towards it if you just listen to it. It is something mm-hmm. you slowly grow. It's with. also not a part-time job. It's not a part-time job. I mean, you're all in or none at all. Yes. So I witnessed the lifestyle. I witnessed the process. I listened to the music all around me, consciously, subconsciously. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, I was, I had no second thoughts. I wanted to play the Sarod. So when I was six, on a Saraswati Puja, uh, which is a festival, one-day festival, Mm -hmm. uh, I started my journey. Wow. Officially, yeah, officially. And There's started a term for this, right? Do you, are you referring to Ganda Band or something like something that? Something like that, yeah. Like the f- mm-hmm. when the teacher officially declares your journey have begun. Yeah, yeah. They used to be, but things have changed now. That's good. You know, it, it doesn't fall under that uh, any strict structure That's of learning beautiful. these days. Yeah. You just start learning, and you just, you know, anyway, that day becomes a very memorable mm-hmm. and auspicious day in your life. So, uh, on that uh, day of that uh, puja festival, I started learning from my grandfather. So, a very small, tiny sarod was made for me. Was it custom made for you? No, it's not custom made. I think there, there, there are three standard, uh, I mean, there are three sizes of sarod which the makers make usually. Okay. One is small because usually six, seven, eight is a typical age someone starts learning mm-hmm. usually. And then, I just don't remember. It was so natural process. I don't remember how I progressed, how I improved. Wow. All I remember was uh, it was mandatory to sit every day. Initially once a day, after that twice a day. So which halves of the day would you take? Uh, it, wa- it was flexible, mm-hmm. but mostly in the morning because I had my school as well. Mm-hmm. So when I had early morning school, I used to come back late afternoon, get some rest and then sit with my grandfather for a one or two hour 
learning and practice session. Mm -hmm. It was more practice than learning mm -hmm. or simultaneously. I mean, both used to happen. But uh, that is the most formative period when you need to uh, get, get the thing injected in your muscle memory. What's the age you were doing this at? Which part of your life? Like six onwards. Six onwards till? You mean uh, with my grandfather? This general daily practice routine. I'm still doing it. I'm yeah. still doing it. Yeah, I had an inkling. It, 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 it's a forever process, as long as you're breathing. So basically, since the time you were six, you've never missed a day of practice. I did. I did a lot of, lot of times. I did. But, I mean, the idea is there. Okay, to gotcha. gotcha. Because, you know, the schedule has changed. I'm a professional musician now. Sure, sure. Every time, you know, there are days that you don't get time to practice because you have other works. But also, when you're working or playing in the studio, that also, at times, it involves practice or mm. something. You know, so, but I try to make sure that I play the sarod every day. Mm. But also, there are times, which we can talk about later, when I take a break, when I don't touch my instrument. Gotcha. It works for me. It works in my favor. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. There's a bit of effort needs to be made, because after, you know, not practicing for seven days, there's a natural decline in your agility or flexibility, which you need to pull up. Hmm. by practicing but a lot of freshness comes in and a lot of new ideas open up by the way there's a lot of uh, research regarding that theory as well mm -hmm. the, the loss of motoric skills yes that's something we should we could talk about too It'd yes, very interesting yes. To I, I have out. heard of terrifying stories of great musicians suffering from severe injuries for over practicing is that because it's a lot of stress on your muscles. One of the examples we would work with during my pedagogical training was skiing. You can't ski all year round. Mm -hmm. You think you'd forget how to do it and you lose practice. But professional skiers, a lot of them, yeah. they don't lose their skills. And that's just one example. There are quite a few other sports or I'm, I'm thinking sports as an example because it's yeah. a purely physical thing. Mm -hmm. I've had some experiences with these two. I, I do you know what we call the chilas where Chila. we do like a I don't know, I, I used to do these 108-day uh, chilas, for oh, example. Wow. I mean, not like eight hours a day, mm -hmm. but I had this thing. Uh, yeah. I was doing this mentorship program with mm -hmm. Kai, Kai Eckhart, who was uh, recently on the podcast too. Mm -hmm. um, Chila is basically, uh, I think, it's, it's a meditative process. Exactly. I'm very fascinated by this idea because it was more prevalent before. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, many people, they say they do chilla, but chilla had a lot of guidelines. Oh. It used to be a 41-day process, and uh, it was more... Uh, but I think, uh, as far as I've heard, there's a lot of physical stress involved. Okay. And you need to play all day, and that's all you do. Oh, okay, no, that's not what I did. Yeah, this was definitely a more contemporary version. That's the chilla in its true form. But it, it, it can be any kind of practice, but you need to stay with it. That's all you do. You eat, you sleep. Uh, mm -hmm. just as much as it's necessary and, and you practice. Do you reckon that's a sustainable approach to music long term? Mm. As someone who's actually, you know, who comes from that tradition, mm -hmm. is that something you'd recommend to your students or your colleagues? I wouldn't recommend because I'm scared. I don't know the impact of it, mm -hmm. or the effect of it, but I really wanted to try, but uh, I didn't get a chance. Or maybe I, to be very honest, I don't think I have the consistency to carry on. Knowing you the way I do, it is a very different thing. Yeah. And the age I'm living in, it's very yeah. uh, hard to isolate yourself right, right. and do it. Yeah. And also, at the age I am now, it's it's going to have a negative effect on my body. When you are very young, 
mm-hmm. it, it is okay but but i must say i witnessed the magic of chilla i think mm-hmm. i mean the people or the great musicians who were said to have done it mm-hmm. uh, three or four times in their lifetime it is something you know that stays with you that chunk of 41 days is uh-huh. more like a fixed deposit that's why many musicians who stopped practicing after a certain age they continued to play at a very i mean what can i say consistent level very consistent level yeah that's the experience i mean like doing i mm. did these chillas for about 4 years i mean mm. it's nothing it's obviously a contemporary version right mm-hmm. it's not traditional mm. where i'd have to uh, i had a routine i'd have to nail mm-hmm. for 108 days yes. and i was allowed to mm. um, miss 13 out of these 108 yes. if i missed the 14 that to start back from yeah, scratch yeah. and i did yeah. about six of these yeah. we kept the agenda really tiny so it was mm-hmm. realistic to integrate what i've noticed is everything i've practiced till then now i can go on for practice with the two weeks but i don't lose it exactly so these kind of practice i think they are very reformative practice it yeah. reforms you as a human being yeah. it's just not about how much time you're spending with your music no. but the whole idea of isolating yourself and uh, keeping yourself confined in a room but your mind is wandering everywhere i think there's a lot of information a lot of information there's a process that takes place which is uh, yes. very deep very deep there's something that happens there yes it's hard to explain and you might get visions as well i mean uh, many things can hallucinations many things can happen it you can get into a dark space and that oh, is yeah. also needed okay you 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 get yourself confronted. out of it yeah you're really confronted <clears throat> with the shit basically exactly and, it's a very yeah. different kind of a trance mm. and a reformation that happens definitely when you are locking yourself up for 41 days and you uh, a different kind of a realization takes place and a relationship gets established with your art form absolutely it's so that's what you're listening to all day and you know yeah. you're getting to know yourself yeah there's a that there's no space for yes. doubt anymore at yes. some point but yeah as a contemporary musician because i i don't have any knowledge about the chilla or these kind of rigorous intense practice sessions it's funny that you say that because mm-hmm. i got to say this mm-hmm. uh, i don't want to refute you when mm-hmm. you say that but this from a guy who's basically been practicing pretty much every day since mm-hmm. he was 6 years old mm-hmm. so you may not have actually like tried out the concept of chilla to mm-hmm. take that over as an experience basically been kind of doing a form of chilla all your life anyway uh, i would say so because chilla is a very different concept i would say effective practice Okay. I think my family always believed in effective practice. Mhm. So instead of uh putting your body and mind under stress. But is is the stress like an does it have to be stress with the chiller because I I thought uh, that's what the information I had. Yeah, a stress at least a physical stress is involved in it. Because it's a when you're especially when you're playing a physical instrument. Mm-hmm. Any instrument even if you're singing there's a lot of stress on your voice. Yeah. So chillas are not recommended for vocalists. Yeah, it can be painful, but does it have to be painful in order to, for it to qualify as a chilla? Maybe some amount of pain is required. Interesting. Because you know the uh, concerts we play in or you know the duration of uh, our uh, presentation is quite long and mm. quite continuous. Right. You need to train your body and mind to be able to carry on for that long. Yeah. This happened with me like I had a concert and there was another artist after me mm. who couldn't turn up as he or she fell ill Amazing. and I had to play for yeah. two and a half hours or three hours mm. instead of 
one and a half hours. Which is why music actually has, it's been yoga. It's funny, like most people in the West or even like uh, globally uh, think of yoga as a form of exercise and what's been known as yoga as yoga asanas. Uh, but the yoga asanas were also basically a practice for you to be capable of sitting and meditating mm-hmm. for as long as you needed to, to yes. get into the spaces you want to get yes, into. Absolutely. Like a decent practice routine is a lot yeah. about resilience and endurance. Too. Absolutely. And that's what what I recommend every every musician, be it Indian musician or Western musician, that it is important to understand what is effective practice mm-hmm. and consistency. Yes. Every day yes. you need to give time, even if you have a lot of things to do, mm-hmm. but you make sure that you made that effort to take out an hour. Yeah, the commitment. Spend time, the commitment. Yeah. yeah. And also, not only just the commitment, but also uh, the practice of you know getting involved with the instrument or the form of music mm-hmm. you know that that keeps the continuity yes you know and that will prevent you from any kind of a technical downfall yes any kind of physical restrictions mm-hmm. you know, if you are practicing every day or if you are practicing 10 hours for 7 uh, days mm-hmm. and then you get tired mm-hmm. or you get injured and you cannot play for mm-hmm. next 5 days exactly doesn't make sense yeah i guess that's basically the end goal of sadhana right yes absolutely Tell us more about sadhana. That's another word that gets mm-hmm. thrown around a lot. What yeah. would you say the word sadhana actually means? Sadhana Sadhana is a is a very wide interpretation. But to be precise, sadhana involves everything in your existence. Everything, mm-hmm. I think. It's uh, it it involves mindfulness, it involves commitment, it involves uh, loyalty towards what you're doing and what you stand for. can be anything i think sadhana doesn't have to be associated with a particular activity can be associated with a relationship as well mm-hmm. someone with a person you understand that person you're loyal to that person you're honest with that person mm-hmm. you deal with the odds while dealing with the person oh, yeah. and uh, you give your best and something fruitful comes out of it and once you do that with anything with an object or a person or a practice or an activity it starts reflecting in other aspects of your life very true how would you say it's reflected in your life these other aspects well i think uh, i'm thinking of a term for example i'll tell you uh, there was a time when i thought of deviating from indian classical music mm-hmm. because uh, i was under pressure mm-hmm. because i was growing up my mind was wandering everywhere mm-hmm. i started getting more fascinated by sports mm-hmm. or some other instruments mm-hmm. and uh, you know that, that you go through that time at some point of sure, your life when you start uh, questioning yourself that what i'm doing yeah. whether i've chosen the right thing Yeah, you want to experiment. You want to yeah. try it out. Yes, and all, and naturally there was some opposition from my family. Yeah, yeah, because that because I was ignoring my practice time and I wasn't putting mm-hmm. enough effort. And as I'm growing up, people started to uh, recognize me as a musician, as an upcoming musician. So mm-hmm. I was maybe I think I was pressurized by the challenges that was coming in my way, mm-hmm. or I was more fascinated by what I was uh, looking at. that other uh, you know other musicians or people from other professional fields were cherishing mm-hmm. you know that that immature period of time what did he miss what do you think others were enjoying that you weren't 
Uh, I don't know because you know there is this environment. Uh, there's a very strict environment associated with our form of mm-hmm. music. You know, so after you finish uh, or after you uh, finish uh, a recital, you know, you get a round of applause. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I travelled to uh, France and Australia with Yotam, mm-hmm. uh, there was a more cheerful response, and people were whistling and. I felt I was more, you know, I was more accepted, mm. and uh, so you could also just be a dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah, and there was more flexibility, and more independence, and uh, less "quote unquote" discipline or disciplinary guidelines mm. that we maintain, which is important mm-hmm. to preserve an art form. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of restrictions in Indian classical music. Yes. Back then, I never used to understand that. Right. I used to think, why shouldn't I break the boundaries? We do, we do break the boundaries, which is needed. You need to break something to make it grow. Yeah. But also, you know, uh, I'll give a very brief. Let me introduce this term raga, mm-hmm. which we spell R A G, which is a modal structure. Right. So we present our music within that boundary. There, there's a set of notes and yeah. set of phrases. And philosophy behind that particular melodic structure. Give us a lowdown on this. Tell us a little more. Uh, like in Western music, you play major scale, mm. minor scale, harmonic minor right. scale, or or even the modes. The modes, which are often mistaken. Uh, exactly, like I think, think ragas are modes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But don't you think ragas are modes basically? No, modes are something. Okay, so ragas are scales basically because yeah. that's what we refer to as right. when when we are translating. to a western audience there are set of notes but they're not used the same way exactly so uh, so there are a lot of uh, guidelines and restrictions right so when i was young i used to think that i sh- i i must break everything and just you know why do i need to confine my self exactly into these set of notes mm. but later when i started growing as a musician i realized that this is my job yeah. to explore every corner of this circle and find a different sound mm-hmm. which will make it sound that i've made it bigger mm-hmm. you know or maybe kind of uh, explore another dimension of the same area yeah on the same scale yeah. you know so that indian classical music in that aspect really uh, i mean uh, you know gives you Uh, I mean, the improvisation skills—they mm-hmm. grow incredibly, especially in Hindustani, the North Indian classical music. Mm-hmm. It has so much scope of improvisation, so it creates a huge ground right. for you to express yourself by maintaining the same guidelines. Mm-hmm. You know? Tell us a little more about the philosophy of the raga as well, please. Uh, well. There are different kinds of ragas, which were composed uh, based on different seasons, mm-hmm. different times of the day. Mm-hmm. But a lot of uh, study and researches are being done these days yeah. that they are very. Uh, I mean, it is uh, very much conditional. Mm-hmm. You know, like someone who doesn't know that X raga mm-hmm. is a night raga. Yeah. So when he's listening to that scale. Mm-hmm. he or she might uh, get the mood of a morning or a different time of right, day right right yeah 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 you know so yeah. a lot of research is being done that yeah. 
the frequencies or the melodic structure are not strictly based on the time of the I face this a lot in my yes. music. I've, I can't exactly. tell you how often people have said, your music is so sad. Whereas like my association with what sad music sounds like is very, very different. Like yes. punk music is really sad huh. for me. That's like the saddest music. And I'm not saying that from an insulting point of view, yeah. but that's like uh, the ultimate representation of frustration for me you know exactly. this is like you know you, you know exactly. this is how frustrated i am about the mm -hmm. way life is i get that so often mm -hmm. i've noticed over time that you know my associations with the sounds and its moods it has a very st strong indian yeah. aspect to it actually but don't you think there's also there's also a lot of research in music therapy where they've yes. seen specific physical reactions exactly. to specific combinations exactly. of sounds yeah. So don't you think there is, I mean, where do we, so, so what's the deal here? Music therapy is a very different subject. Actually, I used to think that music therapy, because I wasn't aware of this subject, mm -hmm. but uh, music therapy, I used to think that it's just, uh, you know, music has its own magic mm -hmm. and it has its feel-good factor. Right. So if you can connect right. uh, with the audience or with the person who needs healing, yes. it works. But later, yes. I last time when I went to France, I met one or two musicians who have right. studied music therapy and yeah, they yeah. are trained exactly. in specific ways. So I am, as a full-time musician, I'm not capable of healing a person who is dealing with a very a serious disease or ailment. I'm not so sure that's true, by the way. Um, I might be, but it, it's um, but not at the scientific level. I'm sure the music therapists, they have studied the music at frequency levels. Um, at a very b basic yeah, sure, level, sure, sure, absolutely, and sure. it ha it is a very different and an evolving subject, which it is. wasn't very prominent even few years back, it but is. it is growing yeah. at a lightning speed. It's so, ironic you say that because yeah. the very crux, the very fundament, the very foundation on which music therapy science in the West has been mm -hmm. based upon, has been talked about thousands of years back in older yeah. traditions in, in India or even in some sh shamanic cultures in South America or mm. Africa. The West being the West, the manner in which they come to quote-unquote scientific conclusions mm -hmm. involves a very different, against quote-unquote scientific process, yes. which is based on a very specific form of a very specific kind of experimentation, which has to lead to very specific kind of a hypothesis or yes. a conclusion and so on. Um, but fact of the matter is, Indian music, well, the tr Indian classical, the tradition, uh, to the best of my knowledge, its highest goal was to heal, yeah. which kind of makes it music therapy by default in a way. I probably made that sound a lot yeah. simpler than it is. Or maybe its highest goal parallelly was to connect with the nature. Right. I think a lot of sounds have been replicated from the nature. Mm. Many songs, many things, you know, there are mentions of... Uh, sounds of birds mm. or uh, specific animals, you know, or the nature or trees. Mm. So, and, uh, you know, on that basis, many songs were written depicting a particular situation or an environment mm. or a season, be it rain or, uh, you know, thunder or anything, any kind of environment, different landscapes. Man. You know? Like, for example, there's a rock called Pahari. And Pahari means mountains. Could you play it first? Yes, sure, Pahari. And because I'm conditioned to this thing that Pahari means mountains, so whenever I play or whenever I listen to this, yeah. I never think of a desert. Yeah. But another listener who is not 
familiar with this form of music might have a picture of an ocean while listening to Bahari. Okay, That's so for my part. listeners, I'm very curious about what you see. Actually, I shouldn't have said this and left it to, the, to your listeners to figure out yeah, what they did. Just what came to their mind first, and later maybe I have said. Oh, <laughs> have that's a rabbit hole, man. Yeah. to amaze me how you always sound so fucking good it is disturbing I think that's my instrument no <laughs> shut up, shut up man. <laughs> you're just bullshitting me now that's that's one of the things that's been so striking about you and i mean i know the indian tradition is based on that premise that it should be the case all the time but the reality is different it kind of takes me back to my first uh, interaction with you at the studio session which we're oh, yeah. The all-nighter we pulled. Beautiful. And, man, and I remember I was blown from the first moment. It's That's one of the things I've known. You never play a note at 90%. It's always, not even 99%. You're always at 100% the minute you touch your instrument from the beginning till the end. How do you frame that? Firstly, I'm not sure about this. I get that. I, I, I probably wouldn't. Be, you're but really fond of my music. That's, no, that's no, no. Okay, assuming I'm right. Uh, assuming I'm, uh, I'm right. Let's but uh, if you ask me, the way to achieve that maybe is just the involvement. And that's the same with anything you do. The passion, the involvement. When you get involved with something, you know, you get connected to every nuances of it, to be honest. Now, talking about my collaboration with you, I, I was amazed by... Uh, I remember that short piece, which was not based on a tempo. Mm, it was Roboto, yeah. It's up. And how... I mean, we never played together. But how you played with me, you know, how you played the piano, and how you uh, mm. connected with the spaces, you know, that was the most incredible thing. I just couldn't stop listening to it. Cheers, brother. It's so if I ask you how you did that, uh, you might not have a, you know... Actually, I do. Actually, I do. do. Please, I would. (laughs) To start with, that's one of my works which I'm actually proud of. And I'm very hard on myself at times. At this point, I'll just be open about it. I cringe at a lot of music I've produced in the past. But that's the one piece I'm like, wow, I'm so blessed to have been part of this piece. Um, but I actually, it it was, that was a very interesting experience because at the time when we recorded you, Wow, those are very loud dogs, by the way. <laughs> um, 
at the time we recorded it, I remember I didn't want to give you a frame or a structure mm-hmm. to work with. Uh, we we did two sessions. One was a song where mm-hmm. we did a more regular session where we just we did have like yes. a little more structure. But I also wanted to give you a space where like, hey man, just play. Yes, I remember. I think you told me that you wanted a very organic form. I just wanted you to play and just make a statement. You wanted that organic flavor, so yeah. you just didn't want to restrict me. I remember you said that. Just, yeah. just, just play, just, you know. Yeah, I, out, I probably wouldn't have used the word organic today. It's almost been 10 years because it's turned into such a generic term now. Yeah, I but I, I remember, I was just like, man, this guy, he's he's like fucking killing it from the first note. And I want that experience that I'm having right now to transport onto the record in some way. And to answer your question, you know, working on that piece later on, the reharms I did and everything, mm-hmm. it was a very interesting experience because one part of me connected to it immediately and the other part interpreting it in a manner that makes sense to my other musical backgrounds primarily jazz so there was a conflict it wasn't a conflict but it was a lot of intellectual work too and yeah i guess conflict because i was like man why do i have to analyze this shit in ad like I, I, I like really worked hard on the reharms and, and I was a little pissed at how much work it was because like, wow, I mean, why does it have to be so much work when the feelings I feel when I listen to this are so effortless and instant? Yeah. And yet the manner in which I want to put it out there requires so much time and effort. So, yeah, it was definitely a dichotomy I was dealing with. Yeah. And I think that is an overall dichotomy of the musician anyway. Like mm. you want to sound effortless, but you put in a lot of effort to get there. Exactly. So that's the paradox. Yes, absolutely. So uh, to, to uh, taper off a bit at this point mm. of your life, where's music headed? Especially post-COVID. Mm. That's a very interesting question. You're moving to a new city. So I'm moving to a new city. Large transitions happening. Where do you want to be in a few more months, years, on a musical level? I don't know. I just want to be in the present. Beautiful. Ah, it feels so good to hear that. I think for the first time, because uh, if I look a few years back, I was always obsessed with where I want to see myself really? five years down the line. Yeah. I'd have never put you down as the type. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I used to be like that. You know. huh. Yeah. I-, I was never a guy who used to hold on to the past. Or what are the things I've done, or uh, wish I could do better? Mm-hmm. But I was more uh, partly fascinated, partly curious, partly anxious about what's going to happen next, mm-hmm. or uh, in the you know three four years down the line. But now I think I'm just living in the present completely. Just know what's going to happen tomorrow. But yeah, but still to be honest, I I definitely need to uh, I need to do a lot of reading on my art form because mm-hmm. there's so many opinions you know and I have learned uh, on a very practical basis I didn't get into much of the theory mm-hmm. you know because I, I did my academics in school in different subjects mm-hmm. and this, they, 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 they just ran parallelly I didn't study music hmm. in that way I didn't study many books or something it, everything happened instinctively and through hearing and through face to face learning from my gurus mm-hmm. but now is the time I just want to read and uh, know a little more about the history 
and read the parallel perspective, different perspectives, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that will uh, definitely have some impact on my music and my understanding. And then I want to not I won't say come to a conclusion, but understand the entire music world or the Indian classical world in my own way to be able to interpret or pass on the knowledge to the coming generations or to the people who want to know about it Beautiful. my own way so that I can uh, give them a clear picture because there's so much of that such a big cloud of uh, doubts there are a lot of controversies and difference of opinions you know for which many students of music or listeners who get introduced to this art form initially they get a bit intimidated mm-hmm. that it must be something you know uh, beyond our understanding mm-hmm. and uh, the problem is uh, it gets reflected a lot in society yeah in society and through many musicians that um, this is something that you know I'm curious, I want to clarify. Mm-hmm. So basically we're referring to accessibility to the art form. Accessibility. And are you referring to potential students or audiences here? Both. Beautiful. So if um, let me pick your brain on this. What do you think is the best way to educate one, potential students, but more importantly, potential audiences? Because no audience, you know, the motivation to pursue this form of art struggles. Yeah. So, how, what's the best way to reach out to audiences? My uncle used to say that avoid using too many terms. Beautiful, man. You know, when you use a term, Mad respect at your instantly, uncle. you know, I, I won't say it repels, but it, it instantly creates a lot of questions. So, a lot of question marks pop up in your head before you understand the basic thing. It's also potentially you know? snobbish. It is snobbish. Also, it is stupid. But snobbery is stupid. School students, like there are a lot of lecture demonstrations in schools and colleges, and many musicians, they end up using a lot of terms. Mm. Like you straight away say rag. The first wow, thing, you know, in, deep. yeah, I mean, the first response these days, at least, uh, for someone who's impatient, will be to Google it. What is rag? Yeah. Instead, what this music stands for, or, you know, it is a very human thing. The first thing is to be able to understand that. It is not different from who we are and what we do. Mm. When I'm on stage with a tabla player, what I'm doing with him is exactly what uh, we are experiencing right now. This language is different. The mode of communication is different. Mm. That is the first thing that needs to be uh, understood Mm. with a bit of simplified history that where it came from. Beautiful where it came from, how you learned. Just mm. the very basics. The, those are the main things. Mm. You know? And also, just to not to ignore the human element. From yeah. it. It's something very basic that we do every day, just like painting. So it's, nothing, it's nothing different. Even I think in martial arts or you know, ancient forms like that, you know. So uh, good, yeah. It, it is, we did it. I mean, we, I, I shouldn't say we discovered it or something, but this is something which prevails in the human world. So, mm. first the connection needs to be established. Like so where it came from and what it stands for. Connection, man. You, you're you hitting the nails on their heads right here. I've, uh, on the side, I've experienced very similar uh, uh, situations. Uh, I mean, I have 10 years of music college behind me and mm-hmm. uh, the cerebral academic 
masturbation which takes place at some point yeah. you know at some point once you realize how painfully obvious it is that it's basically a fear-based method of covering up for mm. insecurities which is what a lot of musicians do there's a yeah. generation of musicians out there who've been to music college and mm-hmm. never actually uh, at the risk of sounding arrogant here necessarily really discovered why they're doing music or you know who they are you know what's that connection because i think they have directly fallen into that competitive oh that too competitive competition and i mean unfortunately there is a very prominent hierarchy oh yeah but an, uh, in an art form no one can be the best mm. or no one can have the third place it's so interesting that you refer, you saying this with, and i'm assuming uh, with a lot of it referring to the state of indian classical music anyway but everything you say it could it is so 100% applicable to the yeah, state yeah. of the arts Yes, in one way or the other. Exactly. I mean, many people, they ask me, okay, who's the best solo player? Jesus. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, uh, you won't find it in Wikipedia, but uh, I don't know. I mean, like, for I'm that the guy, best solo, if you ask my mother, yeah. I'm the best solo player in the world. <laughs> if you ask my player, friends, yeah. I'm the best solo player. If you ask some of my other friends, yeah. I'm the only solo player who exists in the world. Yeah. So this is an art form, you know, you cannot uh, just, you know, categorize. even in fine arts or any other form in competitive sports is different but this is an art form so right very true exactly i, I think so, that's where there's a marked difference between a sportsman and an artist exactly. i've noticed even in the martial arts you mm-hmm. see who the yeah you notice exactly. the ones who are there yeah. to to pursue an art yes. or the ones who are there to pursue a sport and that's why i'm very you know i'm quite against this idea and the practice of music competitions Oh god yeah I don't support them yeah now with you know definitely I think there can be examinations and someone can earn his or her degree yeah based on their merits yeah but you cannot make them stand uh, on three different podiums with three different levels yeah it's and that impact that negative impact that one artist might have on their mind that will mm-hmm. uh, affect their uh, improvement yeah or growing as an artist to a great extent mm. because uh, it's a very sensitive thing and it is a very uh, it is at a very emotional and sensitive level it's basically self expression mm-hmm. you know so you cannot say that i'm best at expression mm. you know i have no, my can't. way of expressing absolutely maybe one musician might have a greater ability to connect with the audience that doesn't make that musician or an artist the best artist in the world. Oh, that's a tricky one. It's so tricky cuz it's tricky cuz we almost contradicted what we said a few minutes back with regards to connection, right? Yeah. So a lot of people were like, "Hey, what the hell? You just said it's all about connection." And I think it's not about connection at all. So I guess it's it's about authentic connection. Absolutely. And not connecting through uh, yeah, marketing gimmicks. And the lack of this understanding has caused this entire music or the art world to be constant war that's a great uh, point and i got to ask you this cuz you're you're like you're living in 2021 mm. and you know you don't want to sell yourself but musicians today they're also kind of entrepreneurs you can't mm-hmm. survive yeah, yeah uh, you know you you can't live as a professional musician without certain entrepreneurial skills yeah, so so to close our talk now any tips on how to strike that balance how do you do it Well, I don't do anything. I think I'm blessed to be living in this time 
when I'm, you know, looking at a thriving platform mm-hmm. of social media and the internet. Mm-hmm. So this is incredible. Firstly, in terms of knowledge mm-hmm. and information that is available. You know, when I was young, I don't remember. Like, I had to buy a cassette <laughs> to be able to listen to something. I hear you, know? man. Now all I need to do is just sit here and just type some keywords, yeah. and I will have 500 options to choose from. And also in terms of promoting myself or being visible, because that's important. You need to reach out to people. Mm-hmm. We have all these free platforms like Instagram and Facebook. Mm-hmm. I think we should be able to make the best use of it mm-hmm. by not overusing it or not going crazy about it. Yeah, but do you work on those? Like, do you uh, work on figuring the algorithms out on how to make yourself the most visible? I or don't. Are you just I don't. I have. Okay. Uh, uh, I think whatever works in my favor is uh, because of the time. Mm-hmm. I haven't, you know, figured out the algorithm and how. I, I have tried to study, understand a little about the promotion and mm-hmm. how it works and all these, you know, these trending hashtags and stuff and mm-hmm. how you put the keywords when you're naming. the video that you are uploading mm-hmm. but what happened in my case is through facebook mm-hmm. and over a long period of time uh, i have uh, naturally built a network mm-hmm. and i have followers and I, it's, it's also it happened through mutual understanding and mutual following gotcha. you know so it grew with time over the past few years so now there are many people in my profile mm-hmm. when i put up something any of my music or a concert video or an announcement for an upcoming concert it gets shared mm-hmm. so naturally the same people they try to they share the same information or the post and uh, they pull other audience or other people and they follow me in other platforms sure sure yeah you, you know it very yeah, well yeah, yeah. your second generation mm-hmm. how do your uh, predecessors feel about this about, about this this massive change in having to promote yourself number mm-hmm. one as an artist and having that as a responsibility as part of the job mm-hmm. well there is there are differences in yeah. opinions most of the people are really uh, fascinated by mm-hmm. this and they usually say things like uh, you know that we are very lucky okay so they're supportive of it they're supportive that's cool but also uh, there are people who think that uh, also partly maybe at times they are right they get annoyed by the over exposure mm-hmm. you know and uh, the lack of uh, how uh, you know the music is losing its exclusivity at times because of certain artists because mm-hmm. they are posting every day and random things yeah. and after maybe shooting the video before they put it up they are not uh, aware of the fact that whether it's uh, you know okay to put that up Mm, the quality control quality control exactly the information is being passed on to many to thousands of people who are mm. uh, witnessing or who are following that post even the definition of quality is changing on exactly. so many levels and it is setting wrong examples at times yeah. and now many things and different standards or different uh, you know things are getting generalized mm. so people are losing the ability to uh, differentiate between good quality and bad quality That's one dark side of this uh, growing, uh, I mean, internet platform or OTT platforms. 
Well, I think anything that's powerful comes with equal potentials of darkness and light. Mm -hmm. So let's end our conversation with the other side of the spectrum, the light. What what is the light we have to share as musicians and artists and what's the best way to spread it? Well, I think most of the things I, we have already covered most of the positive aspects, yeah. especially at a very ground level. If you would summarize it mm -hmm. in one I know that's a shitty question to ask. Now I'm sounding like an interviewer. No, no, no. But it's but interesting. You are, really you are actually uh, helping me to think. Yeah. You know? So you are going to change the course of my thinking. <laughs> to some extent, for sure. Yeah, really. But these days, if you ask me, okay, I, I, will, I will answer this question or just talk about this at a very, from a very personal perspective. Yes, please. But these days... Uh, It is my feelings and my thoughts are at a very human level, mm -hmm. very human level. I associate, I've started associating everything with what I do and the people who are there in my life, because that's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. I'm not here for my music first, at the first place. Mm -hmm. I'm here for my family, for my friends and for the same species I'm existing, coexisting mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. So it is a continuous and a forever process of understanding yourself. Mm. That, that's the most important part. Mm. I think uh, we all suffered uh, from different dilemmas. Mm -hmm. That who we are or what we want to be mm. or what we stand for. Beautiful. You know, that's the most important thing. Mm. I think it takes a long time to be able to understand yourself or let's say to be understood to be able to track the changes that we go through. Mm. If we can track the changes, then I think we are on the same page with ourselves at every step of life, mm. you know. So, and that starts reflecting in everything we do. So in terms of music, like me being a musician, I interact with so many musicians. I believe in the relationship and I believe in mutual respect. That's, I think that's the most important part. These days, I. I give more importance to mutual respect because love is something that grows mm. but the lack of mutual respect is the biggest factor of everything bad and nasty and dark happening in this world today. Love is also very subjective and tricky. Very subjective and tricky. Yeah. But respect is easier, yeah. yeah. It's actually simpler to exercise. Exactly. To respect towards human beings, respect towards animals or any living being is the most mm. important thing. That, that, is, that is something I always try to live up to. Yeah, you're, you're the living, breathing embodiment of that philosophy, my friend. I am but also, uh, I also try to un understand the darker sides of myself. I'm so glad you say that because, you know, positive thinking can be such an easy way to be, get, get to be an expert of what I refer to as spiritual bypassing, you know, mm -hmm. you know with, with the whole law of attraction thing and you know, mm -hmm. think positive and just ignore I mean that, that's just a time bomb waiting to happen in my mm -hmm. experience exactly. and you know we also forget uh, mm -hmm. you know like my teacher Kai said our demons are just yeah. angels screaming to be recognized exactly. personally that resonates with me when you mm -hmm. say that, that darker side integrating it to exactly. respecting it yeah this respect yeah. I, I, I see the lack of it at every level of life and that has been uh, affecting the musicians the art form and everything Mm. Life events. Why yeah. I'm saying life events because at times it's quite visible and evident yeah. that uh, uh, that 
subtle conflict between two artists ah, on stage. Yeah, and sometimes these two artists are within you yourself. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's the best way to support you, Pratik? Uh, I have a YouTube channel mm-hmm. which doesn't have enough videos <laughs> because I'm 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 really lazy. And, uh, Welcome to the club. Which, yeah. and by the way, it's not true. You're, you're, I'm very you're lazy like, and I'm so not, not very lazy, active. Right? But there, there's a lot of stuff uh, on my Facebook profile. Yeah. I, I still have a Facebook page yeah. called, uh, called Pratik Shivasta, but it doesn't have enough uh, materials there. Okay, I feel like there's a pattern repeating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But my profile you keep, has... You keep leading us to pages <laughs> which you keep apologizing for. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I tried to grow my page, but then I got tired and I saw right. more response and more love right. you know so yeah I mean I got more inclined towards that I have uh, towards the love that I'm getting yeah. rather than the effort that I have to make to make it grow right. so my profile has a lot of uh, quite a lot of uh, I mean Dude, I'm, I'm trying to help you promote your links man you're killing me here I'm <laughs> <laughs> so sorry <laughs> But I'm being honest here. <laughs> I'm being honest here. But yeah, I think it will be really helpful if you uh, show some love on my YouTube channel and that will encourage me to put up more videos and more music that I would love to share. I, I, I am loving Instagram yeah. a lot. Okay. Because I am uh, listening to a lot of artists, getting to know a lot of artists huh. from Instagram. Wow. Or, I'm sure thanks to the algorithm that Instagram follows and, you know, it brings a lot of amazing artists in my feed, Mm. uh, judging my pattern of search results and what I'm looking for and what I'm interested in. Well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to include your links, all your links on the episode notes anyway. So for my listeners, please make sure you go out and check out these links. I can personally testify on that. Pratik is still one of the most underrated, mind-bogglingly talented musicians I've ever met in life. He's as he's the real deal. It's as real as it gets. This is the real shit. And um, yeah, I've said I've used all my lingo uh, here, which I can do to get the point across. You know, go out there and support this guy. Yeah, it, it will be one of the best investments you've made. Thanks for coming on, brother. Thank you. Always so a pleasure. Much. It was a Always an honor. And uh, we're gonna go grab I learned some a grub. lot. Huh? I learned a lot. I said a lot of things which I've never thought about. So yeah, everything that's... has been quite impromptu and instinctive. And Dude, this podcasting—the only thing that keeps exactly. it going is the education. Like, I couldn't keep doing this if I didn't love doing it. Just these conversations. Uh, I would like to repeat this maybe one year later. Exactly. We do that. That's I would idea. request stronger listeners to join us again absolutely and to maybe you know compare notes that's the compare, idea compare yeah in the meantime let's go grab some grub alright folks we are over enough now peace much love and see you soon that was amazing man yeah you had a good time yeah amazing amazing time gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labour of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love, talk soon.